is not buying the idea that Jalen Hurts compares to Taysom Hill in terms of his NFL career. A former Oklahoma football defender has found a new home staying within the Big 12 and moving positions. Did you know that Nick Saban actually recommended the University of Oklahoma to Jalen Hurts? And we've got a ton, a ton of recruiting to get you caught up on. Welcome, everybody, to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt. He's Rich. And we're excited that we have another show. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we hope that you are COVID-free and staying healthy and enjoying life to the best that you can, no matter where you are. Okay, Rich, let's start with recruiting because in this day and age, recruiting's paying the bills. Um, two high-profile recruits, one of them is a member of the infamous hot dog gang that I've dubbed, patent pending, uh, copyright. What do you, how, how do you say that? It's not a patent because it's not a product, but I want to like I, I want the rights to the hot dog gang. What do I do? Copyright it. Copyright? Is that what Cop- it is? Yeah, copywritten, right. so don't copy me. Yeah, yeah, you can't have the hot dog gang. That's mine, and I got the t-shirts to prove it. Mario Williams uh, is making his decision public on Friday around noon. That will be Florida time, so around 11 o'clock uh, in the morning, Oklahoma time. And then Clayton Smith on Friday afternoon. Now, we, we've known Mario Williams for quite a while, has been not only a, a key target for Oklahoma as far as this offense for Lincoln Riley goes, but he's also very much tied into Caleb Williams, uh, the kid that's got 2,448 receiving yards and 33 touchdowns through his first three seasons of high school football. Earlier in the week, um, Rivals awarded him that elusive fifth star, making him an elite athlete. I don't think 24-7 has caught on yet. I think still with uh, 24-7, he's listed as a four-star recruit, 5'10", 165 pounds. He's uh, got scholarship offers from 34 different football programs. And he's narrowed his list down to five of those 34, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, LSU, and Oklahoma. How big of a surprise would it be for you if on Friday, we're recording this on Thursday, but if on Friday, tomorrow, if Mario Williams says anybody other than the University of Oklahoma? I would honestly be quite surprised. All of the projections at this point in time have Mario Williams headed to Norman. We know that he just tacked on a fifth star with rivals, obviously elevating the number of eyes that are on him and the number of people who are going to continue to watch his development up until, well, I guess it's not that much longer until commitment time. But here's the reality of the situation for me. If I'm in Mario Williams' shoes, I'm looking at what the University of Oklahoma has done with the previous talent on the roster at the receiver position. And I'm saying, what's essentially asking the question, what's the best path? What's the best fit? for me to develop as a player, but more importantly, to develop into a first round draft pick. Now, I know that LSU this past year has had that similar similar level of success, but Oklahoma has done that over the past several years. I think, honestly, that's why it would be a bigger surprise to me is because the goal isn't to play for a college team. Granted, it's part of the process, but the goal is to make a living doing and playing the sport that you fell in love with probably as a small child to get 
to where you're at right now. I've got some opinions about Mario Williams and, and what he's oh please share and what he's good at and why I think he's such a high he's, rated. Okay, pick. let me guess. He's good at running. Say pick, but I'm not talking about pick. I mean he's good at running recruited and he's good at catching. Is that he's yeah, good but, at looting? What defenders. else? I mean, you can be fast and and you can catch a ball, but doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Just depends on who's throwing it to you. Here's here's the thing. I I, I thought we were going to get into what really sets a guy like Mario Williams apart. And the reality for me, watching a little bit of film of Mario Williams, seeing him play, as well as reading what others are writing, here's what I believe about Mario Williams, and this is what I think makes him so special, is that at his level, if you were to put him in the same shoes as, say, a C.D. Lamb, a Hollywood Brown, any of those guys before they arrived on campus at the University of Oklahoma, I don't think any of those players were as good of a route runner as Mario Williams is day one as a freshman in college. You disagree by the look on your face, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Give me your thoughts. No, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to totally shoot down our poo-poo on what you're saying, but CeeDee Lambs was pretty dang good. No, and uh, I at, agree with at you. Route, and, and he was way more athletic than I think what we're getting in Mario Williams. And again, it's but we, Williams we, is more explosive. We we live in a culture where you if you're comparing two guys, you can't say you can't like you can't talk about how different they are and then both still be good. That's not what I'm saying. Mario Williams is a heck of an athlete. You don't become a five star athlete just by right. being average. What I think separates Mario Williams, I mean, you, he does run good routes. I would still the say the best, the look, best routes. I would still say Ceedee Lamb as a true freshman was pretty spectacular. Okay, but he, here's what separates him from me, and I'm kind of partial to receivers because when I played football, that's the position I played, and when I coached football, that's the position that I coached, and so I kind of get into this a little bit more. And and Mario Williams is not a big body guy, and and you know when when you look at his, he's under six feet, he's five ten, he's under 170 pounds, and you know that they're going to bulk him up. You know he's not going to leave the University of Oklahoma at 165 pounds. He's going to put weight on. But really, what makes him this is what separates him from a, in my opinion, from a Hollywood Brown. Hollywood was all about speed, okay? And Mario Williams is quick. He's not, he's not that blazer that Hollywood Brown was. But what really makes him different is that he's fast enough that you either you got to do one or two things. Really, uh, you you got to give him that cushion. If you've got a faster defensive back, you can you can press him if you've got a faster guy, but he's physical for being an undersized guy. He can break off of that press. He can release off of that. He can get a defender off balance and then do the speed. And and the word that I've seen used in conjunction with him, I think is really accurate is that he's twitchy, meaning he can, he can be going one direction, full speed. And then the very next second he's going lateral. You know what I'm saying? He got him going vertical and bam, he's going lateral just like that. And so I, I, I love this kid. I, I do. I mean, he deserves the five star. I'm not, I don't think I'm willing to say though, he runs better routes than CD lamb did as a true freshman. I don't think I'm ready to go there. Okay. I, I could be wrong. Let's see. Let's see where he picks. I think he, <laughs> excuse me. I think he's picking the university of Oklahoma. Uh, I've been saying this all along. He was one of the first guys that I've jumped in and said, he's a lock to come to the university of Oklahoma. He's also, as a, a, aforementioned, a member of the hot dog gang. So that means Christian Leary and Caleb Williams are tied into most likely where Mario's going. I just don't know if I'm ready to say 
as a true freshman better than CD. And, and that's a okay. Those comparisons may never be made, but the outside of the route running, the second thing that I really liked about Mario Williams, I'm an, I'm going to stick with my original assessment here. Yeah, go ahead. And, and say that he is for his age, a top tier route runner and probably the best one that Oklahoma, assuming he commits to Oklahoma, that Oklahoma has had. I mean, he won't be on a roster. He won't be on campus, but if that pans out and he does land in Norman, I know commitments don't really add up to anything until there's a signature on a piece of paper and that sent in as the letter of intent to that specific university. But assuming that everything goes as we're thinking it's going to go, I think Mario Williams, like I said, will be the best route runner day one. How he progresses, clearly up to him. But the second thing you've really got to like about a guy like Mario Williams and why I think he's the top target at the receiver position for Oklahoma in this class is the versatility. I know that you've said that he's undersized, but you've mentioned this ability to change directions on a dime with zero warning and zero hesitation. It is going to throw defenders off. He's had a lot of success playing on the outside by using a double move, getting behind that defense. But when when teams have started to bracket him on the high school level, guess what the coaching staff did? They they moved him to the slot position, used him in situations like a bubble screen, and was still just as lethal after making the catch. Regardless if you're an Oklahoma fan or an LSU fan or a Georgia fan, whoever that might be that he ultimately signs with, you have to be excited about the potential of a receiver of that caliber landing on your campus with some of the quarterbacks names that are out there in this class as well. Yeah, I just want to clarify. I, I didn't say he was undersized. He's just not a big body receiver. He and, okay. and that's okay. I mean, you, you look at my bad on that interpretation. Well, you just look at the success they've had with guys, this body type and, and uh, Hollywood Brown's the most recent, but even a guy like Sterling Shepard was kind of a smaller receiver I'm not saying the guy can't have success and I'm not saying every, whatever you're saying about him is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I, I, I think Mario Williams is going to be a star. I really do. I just, the, the one, the one thing that I am pulling back on is this immediate comparison that he's a better route runner as a true freshman than CD lamb. That's the only thing, only thing <laughs> I, that's, I, I agree a hundred percent with everything you just said outside of that, that one thing. And he could jump on campus in this fall, prove me wrong, but he also could jump on campus and know how deep this receiver class is or this receiver position is for the University of Oklahoma. He could jump on campus and look at a red shirt as well. I mean, just be aware of that possibility right. as well. Um, Clayton Smith, another for, for all you, uh, where's the defensive guys uh, out there? Clayton Smith, outside linebacker, four-star uh, recruit, according to 24-7 Sports, Texarkana, Texas, 6'4", 220 pounds, He's set to make his announcement on Friday afternoon, about an hour and a half after Mario Williams. Now, earlier in the week, he sent out his top six, including LSU, Oklahoma, Kentucky. You kind of wonder, sometimes you look at these top six and you're like, like, here's the top six, LSU, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Florida State, Oregon, and Texas. And you're like, why is Kentucky in there? I mean, what, what? I mean, well, just go with five. Eliminate Kentucky. Uh, you got a, you got a reason? No, I, I don't have a reason. I really wanted to interject a question here because I was looking at Oklahoma, the commits for the 2021 class, and I, I because 
of what we're talking about right here because of the name that we're considering and the fact that Oregon is in that mix. There are two universities who feel I feel like are waiting for the floodgates to open. Oklahoma being that one, Oregon being the second one. Do you, and, and this, you can completely ignore this question because we're not versed in Oregon Ducks football or anything really surrounding that program. One, they're in a different conference, two, and a completely different part of the country. But is Oregon saying, hey, we're waiting for the floodgates too. This could be our our big break when it comes to, to Smith in that initial wave that he's leading. No, I think Oregon's been waiting for the floodgates ever since Chip Kelly left. I'm, I'm, the truth of the matter is, you know, Chip Kelly built that program, and 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 then you got to ask what happened to Chip Kelly after Oregon because he's been nothing but mediocre to bad ever since then. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't think when I hear about Clayton Smith, now he was a late comer to the University of Oklahoma. He didn't really start trending heavily towards Oklahoma till about a week ago. Everyone thought really Texas was the the lean right. where and, he's and gonna end up. Even at the you you said about a week ago, thirteen days ago, all of the predictions had Clayton Smith staying in the state of Texas with Texas, the Longhorns mm-hmm. being that front runner or Texas A and M being right up there with Texas. Right. And then a third option was being Oklahoma. TCU. Oh, well, no, no, no. Oklahoma wasn't even well, I, in, in the realm of consideration. Yes, what I had seen though, the the three it was is really between Texas, Texas A and M and then Oklahoma, a distant third. And that's more recently than what you're saying three weeks ago. But Oklahoma suddenly shooting up the, the rankings here, so to speak, with him. And you don't see Texas A&M in here. That's what I'm saying. A school like Kentucky, a school it, like it Oregon odd. just doesn't doesn't fit for some reason. I Again, I, I tend to be more optimistic than I am pessimistic. But there's a reason why Oklahoma is making a late surge. I don't have as much uh, – confidence in Clayton Smith picking Oklahoma as I do in Mario Williams. But it's still, if you made me put money down on the table right now and say, where is this kid going to go to college? It's the university of Oklahoma. There's a reason why there's a late charge here. And what, what's really going to be interesting. And we haven't talked to him about him at all so far in this episode, but we will talk about him soon. How we, we know that Mario Williams is tied into Caleb Williams. How has has Caleb Williams had conversations with Clayton Smith and to what depth and really when this is all said and done, I'm I'm really curious to know the depth of the reach that Caleb Williams has in pulling guys in to come because he said a couple of weeks ago it's not just it, you know it's not just offensive guys I'm looking at I'm I'm going I'm targeting some defensive guys to come to school with me as well and that right there really made a lot of people think. Well, that's that means Oklahoma's his target because LSU doesn't need help recruiting defensive guys, right? Maryland, we've always said what we've said about Maryland. Brent Venables and Clemson, they don't need help recruiting defensive guys. But where would he want to go to excel in offense, to better his position, to be an NFL draft pick, and need some defensive help? Oklahoma. Is Clayton Smith going to be one of those guys that Caleb Williams has reached out to and has really kind of is that is that one of the reasons why we've had this sudden change and really his trajectory between Texas and Texas A&M towards almost people having him as, I don't know if 24 seven has it 
at 100% or not, but he's pretty close to 100% on the crystal ball projections to go to the University of Oklahoma. You're saying he is 100%. Yeah, he, he's currently – I'm on the 247 Sports page as we're talking about this, and yes, the prediction – there was a, a string of predictions surrounding Clayton Smith, and they all went with Oklahoma, which obviously is the cause for that percentage to rise to that 100%. You like what you see in a Clayton Smith. You're saying you're not confident. I, I'm going to say that I am confident. I don't know. Okay, sorry, I'm going to jump in. I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying I'm not confident. I'm saying I'm more confident in Mario Williams. Right. Because he's been on board. So you're for, saying it's like a 91 or a 97 percent. Yeah, I'm just saying if I had to pick one of the two to be, I, I my my I have more confidence in Mario Williams. I just said I think if you made me put money down, Clayton Smith's coming to the University of Oklahoma. It's just I, we've been with Mario Williams, and we've talked about him, and we've followed him a lot longer, and he's been more solid for a lot longer than a Clayton Smith. Whereas if Mario – the question I asked you earlier about Mario Williams, if if he chooses to not go to the University of Oklahoma and ends up like at LSU or something like that, it would be like earth-shattering, okay? If Clayton Smith decides, yeah, I'm going to go to Texas A&M, you're like, well, okay. You know what I'm saying? That's that's right. what I'm saying. That's that's the point I'm making. Now, I get it, and and I'm looking at Oklahoma, obviously attempting to address several areas of concern on the defensive side of the ball. One of those things is the pass rush, but the secondary option to that is is run support. Oklahoma, when we look at them over the past five years, now there have those have been areas of concern, specifically. In the Big 12 Conference, you look at a guy like Clayton Smith, 6'4", 220. You like his size. You like his speed. You like I the, love his speed. You like the fact that he's a multi-sport athlete. Granted, that has its drawbacks when you're not solely focused on one thing. But at the same time, these are these are reasons that I like him. And we've talked about you and I off the record here about his ability to be an influential pass rusher. We haven't had that really from the linebacker position on a consistent basis since Eric Stryker. And a guy like this, Clayton Smith, who's 6'4", could very easily find himself putting on some weight and sliding into a defensive end linebacker transitional type role, if you will. Yeah, he's defensive end in high school, and I think he projects outside linebacker for sure on the college level. Obo Arakawokwo is probably going to want to talk to you about that Eric Stryker comment, though, because I think he that, that is he true. felt that's, he was pretty good. That's one name that that <laughs> that slipped my mind. <laughs> All right. Hey, we've got more to talk about as far as recruiting goes. Those are two guys that are making their announcements uh, very, very soon. Coming up Friday, Mario Williams around 11 o'clock Central Time, and then Clayton Smith at around 1.30 Central Time. But Oklahoma making making some waves with a couple of other defensive guys, and we got to talk about them as well. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich, and I'm Matt. Okay, I, I, I we're going to continue with recruiting, and we've like I said at the top of this podcast, we've got a ton of recruiting news to to jump out here with. But um, I do think it's important to know because sometimes we, this is probably going to blow your mind, Rich. But sometimes we get some negative feedback for things that we say. And it's just, if you're doing the podcast for as long as we've been doing it, you're clearly not going to make everybody happy. And one of the things that we've talked about recently that has got some 
feedback through Facebook and so forth with us is this idea that if you can't have football and you can't pay the bills, then what it's going to do is it's going to eliminate some of your sports programs. Now, last week when we were talking about this very topic, you said you had already read about some programs shutting down some sports. And then today, the University of Akron, and again, and we said that to start with the smaller schools, University of Akron announced that they're going to eliminate men's golf, cross country, and women's tennis. And, and all I'm saying is, the longer that you are without sports and sports revenue, the more of an impact it's going to have overall on your athletic department. Because here's what's happening. People give their money to sports when sports are happening. So you have a great spring. You bring in some new prospects. You got some recruits on the sidelines. And you say to all of your donors, here's the possibilities. And they get out the checks and they write them. But when you don't get to have spring and you don't get to bring out the new recruits, you don't get to show the prospects. The donors are looking at the stock market. They're looking at the cost of a barrel of oil. And those those checkbooks are closing instead of writing fat checks to athletic departments. And when you get like the small schools, and we've, we've, I mean, we've talked extensively about Boise State. And here you are, these, these you know, from the MAC conference, Akron, Happen to cut programs. They said that this is going to estimated uh, cuts are going to save them about $4.4 million. Now, that's at a small school. Imagine that budget at a bigger school like the University of Oklahoma. You, I mean, if you, if you cut men's golf, cross country, and women's tennis, you're going to be saving a whole lot more than $4.4 million. So we got to have sports. I mean, we got to have it. It's, it's got it's to happen at some point or we're going to – because the football programs will be the last programs to be cut. But at what point – think about the damage here. At what point does Akron get these sports back? I mean, it's, it's a legitimate question. you got all these athletes who are on scholarship who have just been told, sorry, you can't come back here into this scholarship. Now you got to go and you got to transfer somewhere. But at what point does that get to come back to the University of Akron? And it says uh, across the board with these universities, it's not like when you start football in the fall, you get to have women's tennis back. Okay, that's my that's I mean I I, I don't and I don't have a I don't have an agenda here. I don't have a I don't have a like just a basis of what I'm saying. I'm just pointing out what the what the obvious issue is is that there's got to be a way to figure out how to get this revenue stream going again. And get get sports back at these universities, so people don't lose their scholarships and people don't lose their jobs. That that's that's the point. That that's I'm I'm done. Okay, let's go back to um. You, I don't know if you want to say anything about it or not, nope. Rich. But um, all right, let's go back to recruiting because this week also some news. Um, a kid that I'm I am the more I see of this kid, Rich, the the more I'm just like and I even spit on social media. I think uh, on on Wednesday, I was like, I really, really want this kid to come to the University of Oklahoma. Nathan Rawlings, uh, Kabong, and I don't even know if I said his last name right. It's hyphenated. This dude is a monster. And when I say monster, I mean exactly what I'm saying. Dude is I mean, a freak. When you when you talk about 
athleticism. We, we talk about, you know, we, we just talked about Clayton Smith being a multi-sports star. This kid, Nathan Rollins Kabong, he he could be legitimately be a top tier basketball prospect and go and play and have a great collegiate basketball career. That's how good he is. He has only played college football for one uh, high school football. Sorry. He's only played high school football for one season and he's a four-star recruit after just one season. Mm-hmm. The dude is a freak of nature. When you watch his speed, you watch his athleticism, you see his, his height and he has again, place it out there. Here's my, here, here's my, uh, I've narrowed my list down and it's pretty much the PAC 12 and the university of Miami and Oklahoma, but more specifically, Cal, South Carolina, uh, USC, Washington State, Washington, Arizona State, and Colorado. My understanding, as I do some research on this kid, is that his choice is really coming down between Oklahoma and Arizona State, where others are saying Oklahoma and Miami. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm I'm going to stick with what I've got between Oklahoma and Arizona State, and we'll just kind of see where it plays out from there. But suddenly – just like Clayton Smith. Now he's not a hundred percent like other, like you know, Clayton Smith is as far as those, those crystal ball predictions, but you're seeing him start to trend upwards with the university of Oklahoma. He's got great size. He's six, four, you know, and, and, and he's a defensive end. And again, what do all these guys have in common that Alex Grinch is going after? Oh yeah. That's speed. And dude's fast. I do have one major concern here's what we're going to begin to call him okay nrk that way i can get you out of saying the last name we'll be safe but my major concern here is is you've already mentioned it and ever so slightly thrown out this the idea of basketball as well i know leading up to basically the shutdown of all sports all athletics across the country there was this idea that he would play basketball as well as football at a university. Now, you know that NRK has already committed to play basketball at Washington State. It's why it's he, they're one of the finalists in his list. Initially, I think there was some hope that some other schools may get involved and some other schools may be open to the idea of playing basketball as well as football. I don't know that that's gone as planned, But at the same time, I look at a guy who's a raw talent on the football field, but more polished on the basketball court. When you begin to look at the prospects, I get that more players are taken in an NFL draft than are taken in an NBA draft. But the money, there's money in both of those. This kid does have options. It's throwing a wrench into the equation. I think he will be one of the, if he commits... In the summer, it'll be at the end of the summer. I don't think a decision's coming anytime soon from him. I see what you're saying about Arizona State. I've seen what you're saying about Oklahoma, but I'm not going to rule out Washington State at this point. Granted, did did he decommit from their basketball program? I have no idea. I'm just saying I'm, I, I I I didn't even know he was committed basketball. Yeah. I, I've only been following the kid as a football recruit, but I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you, if Washington State was still in the mix with him, that he wouldn't be trending between Oklahoma and Arizona State. This he would is be true. trending between Oklahoma and Washington State. This is true. I, I'm just saying, I don't. You were giving out percentages 
on how confident you were. This is a name that I am kind of going to pump the brakes on at this point in time. I believe he's he's Pac-12 bound. No, nah, I, I I mean we'll see we'll see. I mean, again I don't uh, if we're still going confidence level I'm way behind Clayton Smith with his kid. But what I am saying is that Oklahoma is making ground with him, and I think football he played one season of high school football and absolutely 100% fell in love with it. And if he can go after one season to be a four-star recruit for just one season, if he commits to football as a that's the sport I want to pursue then the dude's going to be a monster on on this on this next level and why is it out of the question that he could play college basketball at the University of Oklahoma? You're telling me Lon Kruger's not going to send Lincoln Riley a text and say, "Hey, can I come over and talk to this kid for a little bit?" No, I definitely think that would happen. And I mean, if they let guys play baseball, why are they going to let him play basketball? The problem Matt, that you're creeping into is basketball is a winter sport, meaning that its season overlaps with the football season. Okay, it's been done before though. It has been. Not recently. Okay, but I'm just saying it's not it's not like it's impossible is all I'm saying. It's, it's not impossible. I think it's improbable, highly improbable at this point in time. But wherever he lands, if he's a football commit, wherever He'll he be a lands, commit. The, the basketball coach is going to be in his ear. Oh, for and sure. And they are going to have conversations just to see if that works out. Football is going to pay the bill. They're going to pay for the scholarship. But basketball wants to utilize the talent. That's a given. Okay, so um, our our man um, – sorry, I lost my notes here. Kendall Daniels also puts his uh, his mark out there as far as, as who he's looking at. And, and I haven't wavered on Kendall Daniels one bit. I, I think Kendall Daniels coming to the University of Oklahoma, and I don't think – I mean, he, he put out his top four, and I don't there, – there's nothing on that top four that I say – Okay, they're going to chase him away, but it's it's a good top four. I mean, it's a very respectable top four in Clemson, LSU, Texas A&M, and the University of Oklahoma. This kid is the number two um, prospect in the state of Oklahoma. Oklahoma's already got the number one prospect in Ethan Downs. I I mean, look, again, Clemson and LSU particularly are those are some great landing spots. But it's not enough to sway me away from what I've already been told about this kid and what his family has. They, they he wants to be a sooner, and now that he's down to four, I don't think it'll be much longer before he goes to just make his decision to go ahead and commit. Right, I, I think he will be part of the initial wave for the hashtag link up twenty one. Kendall Daniels, obviously Oklahoma, and people have said this for years, Matt, Oklahoma needs to do a better job of recruiting the in-state recruits and keeping them in-state. Now, we've seen a couple of high-profile names get out of state, but Oklahoma has certainly done a better job here very recently. You've mentioned the number one recruit in the state of Oklahoma committing to the University of Oklahoma, potentially the number two. I think they've got the, the number three in in line to commit as well if he hasn't already committed i have to go and look at that again as well as for that name but needless to say i think oklahoma's done a a better job but it also helps when a guy like daniels is the prototype for what you're looking for on the back end of this defense Mm. a rangy we've labeled him as a lengthy and rangy guy who has that ability to to close distance when needed 
That's exactly, in my opinion, what Alex Grinch has been looking for and will continue to recruit. Just so happens that you get an in-state kid who fits the bill and Oklahoma being so close has really been, correct me if I'm wrong here, has really been that university that they as a family have followed. Right, absolutely. That's that's one of the things that I've been told about his family is they're all Oklahoma fans. And that doesn't mean that he's going to come just because your family is a, right. is a fan of that program, but it, it certainly should, doesn't hurt. It's exactly what I was about to say. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt the situation. Hey, let, let's run through this. Marcus Burris is the next guy uh, on this list. And this is kind of more recently breaking Wednesday. I got an information about uh, Marcus Burris. He's, he's a defensive end, 6'4", 262 pounds out of Texarkana, Texas. And I want to retract what I was saying. It's way too late now about uh, Clayton Smith. I was getting Clayton Smith and Burris confused, whereas Burris really is down between Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M. That's where I was getting confused saying that you. with Clayton Smith. But – I mean, this as of as of as, almost as of Wednesday, which would be the 13th of May. Again, you see a, a massive swing in his recruiting momentum towards the University of Oklahoma. Calvin Thibodeau has been recruiting this guy and doing a fantastic job with him, and and it's everything we've talked about. Every other kid um, that's on this defensive side of the ball, he's big and he's fast. And he's one of the top recruits. He's a top 13 composite for the state of Texas, according to the uh, 24-7 sports. Also a composite and number, the number six defensive end prospect in this entire class of 2021. This is a kid that we, we've talked about, you know, the frustration with Oklahoma, the way it currently stands with their recruiting class. And we've talked about that dam bursting open and, and last week, I mean, last week, the, the main theme of this podcast was, hey, the wait is almost over. You're going to start seeing these kids ahead of Caleb Williams make that announcement. By the way, I think you might disagree with me on that a little bit. I don't remember. But um, but it's happening as, as soon as tomorrow, as soon as Friday the 15th. And Burris, I don't think he's behind. He's far behind this wave either. And right now, the, the hottest school that is connected with him is the University of Oklahoma. So this is, if you're keeping tally marks on on what we're talking about as far as which side of the ball, Mario Williams is the only player we've talked about so far in this podcast that's a offensive player. Everyone else is on the defensive side of the ball, and you you just got to look and see, you know, Alex Grinch is working his tail off going after these defensive guys. And it's not just that he's getting a chance to visit with them. He's actually bending their ear and making a difference. And that's why you're seeing guys like Burris, guys like Smith, you're seeing them change their projections towards the university of Oklahoma. Whereas again, I'm pretty confident in the information that, that I've got on Burris. I, I called you because I wasn't in a place uh, last uh, last night to where I could write anything on him. So I kind of called you and gave you the information and, and you wrote a pretty good article for Heartland Sports. But I, I've got a lot of confidence uh, the way this stands right now that this kid's going to be a Sooner. Okay. You don't? I don't have any information. If that's what you're asking. Well, you asking wrote the me. article. You got something. Right. Well, I went off, I went off of what you said. Here, Here's what happened. This was the timeline that I was looking at in an attempt to verify what you were telling me was I hopped on Google 
as one does when they're searching for information. And I immediately headed over to any of the predictions, any of the sites that make predictions. And it was funny because here we sit. I know it's not May 13th, but when I'm writing the article on May 13th, five different analysts used their prediction to say it was Oklahoma. Needless to say, it's almost like I've got good information, it, huh? It's it's a pretty telling sign when it's not just one, it's it's not two, but it's all five begin to predict the exact same thing. Okay, so one guy that we haven't talked about yet is Caleb Williams, and it's crazy that we're you know we're a half an hour into this podcast and we're just now talking about Caleb Williams, but there's not a lot of information out here. I, but I wanted to ask you one thing about him because in his latest um, post for Sports Illustrated, he says that Garrett Nussmeyer going to LSU doesn't make a difference to him. Now we said last week, and, and I do believe that. You believe that? You, you I, I believe what he's saying. That that's that's not going to be when it comes to consideration of LSU for Caleb Williams. The Nussmeyer commitment should have nothing to do with his commitment. Okay, here's what he says. He says I haven't wavered. The best place for me is the best place for me, no matter who is there. That's what you're saying. It hasn't really bothered me that Garrett committed to LSU. They're still in the running. My top three is my top three: Oklahoma, LSU, and Maryland. They're the schools I'm deciding from. For the guys committed to those places, I'm happy for them. It's a great opportunity. Competition is what makes football so great. Football wouldn't be football without competition. You need to you need that to make you better. You I need it to make me better. I love competing. I have this competitive spirit in me, and I just want I just don't want to lose. That's why I'm recruiting all these best players to come with me, come to the college that I'm going so that we can compete at a high level and go and win big. Here's why Nussmeyer doesn't matter to Caleb Williams, because he's not going to LSU. It doesn't matter to him. If Nussmeyer committed, to, I'm telling you, and in Oklahoma wasn't, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. Now, Oklahoma wasn't recruiting, but if Nussmeyer committed to the University of Oklahoma, that would matter to Caleb Williams. Here's the thing, though, is when you begin to look at what you can bring in talent wise, there was quite a bit of talent at the University of Oklahoma when guess who arrived? That's right. Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. I, I feel as though there's this competitive nature within these top recruits, these five-star quarterbacks who show a certain level of athleticism, which by the way, fits the bill for Caleb Williams, who says, look, it, it doesn't matter where I go. I, I have confidence in my abilities. I have confidence in myself that I can compete and win that starting job. Whether that's Nussmeyer or whoever else is on the roster, I, I think Caleb Williams is looking at the, the the talent, the competition, and saying, LSU could, and I use that term because I believe Caleb Williams is Oklahoma bound, but Caleb Williams could still consider LSU simply because, like I said, he's not afraid of the competition, and he knows this one truth, is that competition only makes you better. And that's what he said. Or it sends and, you to the and, transfer portal. And I you know. exactly because listen, if Nussmeyer and Caleb Williams both went to LSU, they would not both finish their careers at I, LSU. That's correct. There's going to be a competition. One of them is going to win. One of them is going to lose. And the one that loses is going to transfer out. And that's the world we live in today in college football. But one year, I mean, one year, Matt can change everything. It can, but I'm telling you, it's it's not it's not. You mentioned Kyler Murray, and you're right. Baker Mayfield was on this roster when Kyler Murray transferred, but you got to look at how it stacks. Kyler Murray transferred and he couldn't play. 
and he knew he couldn't play. So he was going to have to sit behind Baker anyway. So it's that I don't I don't think that argument really plays in as much because he knew now Baker Mayfield's a different story. Baker Mayfield comes to the University of Oklahoma on the heels of Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight's potentially greatest performance of his life. Exactly. And Trevor Knight was so young. Baker Mayfield comes in going, okay, I I, I can't play this year, but I'm pretty sure I can yeah, beat this and, kid and, out. And the That's thing, a better the example. Thing is, no, no, no. It's a little bit different with Baker Mayfield, and here's why is – Baker Mayfield was a walk-on. He no, wasn't a five-star I'm, quarterback I'm talking about who the, every single program the, in the nation wanted. The level of competition is what I'm saying. I get you and, there. But Caleb Williams doesn't care about Nussmeyer because he's not going to LSU. That's 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 what I'm trying to say. And like I said, I do agree with that. But I'm not saying that LSU is quote-unquote, and yes, I'm using air quotes, out of the running. Yes, they are. They're just not the lead dog in this race. They're not there. There is no race. And and again, you know me, Rich, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. And I have been saying this for a long time that there it's, that it's done. It's, it's, he's committed to the university of Oklahoma, but he's got to finish out his obligation with the sports illustrated blog. This will be the biggest upset that Oklahoma fans have encountered in recruiting in a very, very, very long time. If Caleb Williams ends up somewhere other than the University of Oklahoma. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say this. If Caleb Williams doesn't end up at the University of Oklahoma, it will set Oklahoma football recruiting back. That's how big of a deal it'll be if he doesn't come. You're just, you're speechless now. You got, you got nothing else? No, no. All, you know, um, you and I, when we look at this this Caleb Williams situation, I think we're approaching it from the same angle. That at this point, after you you lose your initial quarterback commit, all of a sudden Oklahoma has put all all of their eggs in one basket, and it's it's largely dependent on what Caleb Williams decides in the end. So I'm I'm with you because if this wave of recruits does not come in. Absolutely, that's going to set Oklahoma back. I'm not saying it'll be the demise of Lincoln Riley because the NFL is always there knocking on his door. But the truth is that it would set Oklahoma back. There's nothing for me to disagree. Disagree yeah, with and, you on. Right. I'm not saying they would get Lincoln Riley fired. I'm just saying where you've had <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying if things went south, you've had continual momentum with recruiting since Lincoln Riley came in. Mm-hmm. That would be gone. If Caleb Williams doesn't, right. I mean, you because right. then you're scrambling. But but I'm saying that all of a sudden the allure of the NFL and that paycheck. Yeah, I, I again, still don't. I still don't think it, that's it's there. I don't think that's Riley's bag. Hey, how much did uh, did Nick Saban play in in Jalen Hurts coming to the University of Oklahoma? How does Jalen Hurts fit in as an NFL quarterback? And what's up with Mark Jackson? Where's he going? All right, everybody knows the story. Jalen Hurts gets benched uh, for Tua. Tua helps him win a national championship, and that ends the the career, the starting career for Jalen Hurts at Alabama. And then with one year of eligibility left as a graduate transfer, Jalen Hurts decides he wants to come to the University of Oklahoma. Now, again, not breaking news here at all, but the other teams in the running were Miami and Maryland. And as if it wasn't a no-brainer already, according to Nick Saban, he helped Jalen Hurts understand that landing at the University of Oklahoma, landing with Lincoln Riley, 
was the no-brainer decision that this kid needed to make. Uh, an article on the Sporting News quotes Nick Saban as saying this, and I remember him, that's talking about Jalen Hurts, and I remember him coming into me and saying that he could go to Miami because the quarterback coach had gone to Miami as the offensive coordinator. He's talking about Dan Enos, who had been the quarterback's coach for Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. Mike Loxley got the head coaching job at Maryland, and I could go to Maryland or I could go to Oklahoma. That's what Jalen Hurts said to Nick Saban. So Saban says, then I said, Jalen, where do they have the best players? Because he felt more comfortable going where he knew those guys, talking about his former coaches. And he said, well, I think they have the best players at Oklahoma. And I said, we just played them, and they have some pretty good players on offense too. So how much credit does Nick Saban get for Jalen Hurts coming to the University of Oklahoma? And if he gets any credit for it at all, does it change the opinion that Oklahoma fans have in general for Nick Saban, almost as if it was a gift from Tuscaloosa to Norman? How do you feel about this, Richard? Do you have any thoughts at all? I, my, my opinion of Nick Saban doesn't change. But here's the the reality. The one thing of this story that sticks out to me is it just shows that Nick Saban truly cares about his players and their successes. Now, you recruit a guy, you develop that relationship. You're not going to say, uh, go throw a potential career in the trash. Instead, you're going to offer up some advice, some direction as a mentor and say, your best chances of success are are more than likely in this direction versus you heading in any of these other directions that are available. Nick Saban, great coach, will be, always will be, for as long as he lives. People will view him as a great coach, but I think we saw a little bit more of the human side of him in this specific instance, and just that type of relationship and that character building that he does with players. It's why I think Alabama is so good at recruiting. It's his ability to to establish those relationships. And that's yeah. all it does for me. Well, and I think the only, the only thing for me in this story is I always thought that Jalen Hurts wanting to transfer away from Alabama had more to do with Jalen Hurts on his trajectory to get to the NFL. And that's why Oklahoma was the fit for him. It was the best spot to get him not just to, because I think had he gone to Maryland, had he gone to Miami, I think either one of those spots could have got him in the NFL as a six-round draft pick. I mean, real honestly, four to six, is that's where he's going to go. He came to Oklahoma and went as a second-round pick, and, and I always thought that was the plan. That's why you come to Oklahoma. It's a no-brainer. Well, that's why you work with Lincoln Riley. Exactly. And so I always thought that's that was kind of the the – the um, the play there, and then again, I don't I don't want to take any credit away from Nick Saban if the credit is deserved there, but I'm kind of I'm kind of to me there's one of two theories here, either it didn't dawn on Jalen Hurts initially that the University of Oklahoma was the best launching pad for him into the NFL, or Jalen Hurts just wanted to go play football and he didn't care about the NFL. He just wanted to go someplace where he knew people and he could play football. And I still, what I've seen and how we've covered Jalen Hurts this one year at the University of Oklahoma, I'm still sticking to my guns that this was a move to better his draft stock. And if that's the case, I don't, 
I mean, I, it, it, it almost blows my mind that Nick Saban had to point that out to him unless Nick Saban is just talking about, hey, I was encouraging him to go to the University of Oklahoma, not that I had to point it out that that was the obvious choice. It may, may very well be the truth. Well, I mean, we'll never know. But what, we'll we, will, know. what we will know in time is exactly what role that Jalen Hurts is going to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, a lot of people think that he's going to be the Taysom Hill type guy who's not really a great quarterback, but has super athleticism and has a specific skill set that can go in with some specific packages for four to six plays per game. And then you hope you really just never have to rely on him as being your primary quarterback. Now, Lincoln Riley, this last week, with the NFL Network really kind of took exception to that, and here's what he said: This is this is a uh, in comparison in comparing Jalen Hurts to Taysom Hill. Lincoln Riley says, "Yeah, I think a little bit about those opinions are. I think one, people haven't really studied Jalen, his production, and they've not really watched the tape. And when you see that, you're going to see a guy that had one of the most efficient passing seasons in the history of college football this year." So you're right. Taysom is a great player. Talking about Taysom Hill with the New Orleans Saints. I think this there are similarities in that these guys can do a lot of things. But nothing against Taysom Hill. Again, I'd love to have him on any team that should ever have. But I do believe that Philadelphia and a lot of other teams were interested in Jalen. They're looking at him purely as a quarterback. Thoughts? I wholeheartedly agree with what Lincoln Riley says. And because I think it was confirmed with Doug Peterson of the Philadelphia Eagles when he said Jalen Hurts is a quarterback. He was drafted as a quarterback first. Now, granted, he continues on saying he has a unique skill set. He's a great runner and throws well on the run. But that doesn't lead me to believe that Jalen Hurts will be essentially pigeonholed into a Taysom Hill type role. In fact, I am not the originator of this idea, but I'm buying into it, knowing that the Eagles essentially saw Jalen Hurts as a piece of of the puzzle that they had to have, which is why they drafted him in the second round, instead of letting him fall further than that, is we may, in reality, knowing Carson Wentz and some of the health concerns for his future and injury-prone, this idea that surrounds him, I don't think they're drafting Jalen Hurts to play a Swiss Army Knife-type role like Taysom Hill is. I think they're legitimately drafting him as a as the backup quarterback right now that they can groom and continue to work with, knowing the drive, knowing the work ethic, and knowing the leadership that Jalen Hurts has expressed on the field at the collegiate level. That's something that they definitely wanted to work with. So the analogy, like I said, I'm not the originator of this. I'm borrowing it and I'm buying into the idea is it's more of a 2018 Lamar Jackson role for Jalen Hurts than it is a Taysom, Taysom Hill role. Yeah, but that would that would insinuate that that the Jalen Hurts is going to surpass Carson Wentz. No, I don't, and no, Lamar I don't know Jackson that came happen. into an aging 
Joe Flacco. Yeah, I know. an aging quarterback. And and here's the thing. I mean, there's four quarterbacks on the Eagles roster right now, and you know they're not going to carry four quarterbacks into the season. So that means one of them is going to go. It's not going to be Carson Wentz because he's the guy that got a ton of money tied it's into. It's not going to be Jalen Hurts. It's not going to be Jalen Hurts. The exact same reason because he's their second round draft pick. It's not going to be Nate Sudfeld because he's the guy that. Peterson says that he's QB number two right now. So that means if you're a guy named Kyle Luletta, you're pretty much on the outside looking in and you're hoping that there's enough preseason for you to impress somebody to get on a roster for one of the other 31 teams across the league. But the other thing is, is this sets up Jalen Hurts for one or two things, in my opinion. The first thing it sets him up for is whenever Carson Wentz's next contract is up, the Eagles are hoping to have some leverage based on how Hertz progresses or it sets up Hertz to make a ton of money with somebody else. Once this rookie contract is over. That is true. And when it comes to a specific role, which is what I felt like the original question is pertaining to Jalen Hertz and the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know what that role is going to look like for him. I don't know how they're going to use it. Peterson says, we're going to explore, which to me says that they have some ideas on paper. They've got some ideas on a board. Maybe, okay, maybe people don't use paper anymore. They've got some ideas stored in a computer in the cloud somewhere, as people say these days. They've got some ideas, and they're they're wanting to utilize those. But at the same time, is is we've already talked about the ability to run the ball, to essentially put Jalen Hurts not only as a throwing option, but a quarterback who has a very similar skill set when tucking the ball and running as a running back, as well as the size and strength to do what a running back is capable of doing. It opens up all kinds of options. And the reason I say these things is because the NFL is transitioning. We're not seeing quarterbacks simply stand like statues in the pocket and deliver a ball to a moving target. That's not the NFL of today. Where it's heading, where it will land, I don't know. But you look at the Lamar Jacksons, you look at all of these athletic quarterbacks who have entered the equation. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. Uh, I'm just trying throw, to help you out We can throw there. Baker yeah. Mayfield just to, in just, there as well. Patrick Mahomes, right. even if we wanted to. We're looking at these athletic quarterbacks. And Cam Newton was maybe the first wave of that. But he was not a great thrower. Right. That's the only thing. Right. But that's where, like I said, first wave. That's why wave, Cam Newton's unemployed right now. Where because the, the legs are gone. Jameis Winston. And all he's got left is the arm. Jameis Winston. We're seeing those right. athletic quarterbacks enter the NFL but now we're actually seeing these offenses utilize that athleticism. So again, where it's heading, I don't know, but J- Jalen Hurts is a part of that. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to to find out because I think Jalen Hurts, for and here's a reference that Oklahoma fans will completely understand. I think Jalen Hurts could be successful as an NFL version of the Bell Dozer. I mean, third and goal from the three, are you kidding me? You put Jalen Hurts in there with all the other offensive weapons that the Eagles have? Jalen Hurts is going to be a force to be reckoned with in those type of situations, but it looks like the Eagles want more. Lincoln Riley thinks he can offer more. The problem with this is it's going to take us three to four years to find out exactly what the case is for him. Now, we got one more thing to talk about. Mark Jackson has transferred. We knew that. We knew he was in the portal. We know where he's going to land, but interesting that he's changing positions and will be facing the Oklahoma Sooners this coming season. 
For as much as the Texas Longhorns would want you to believe that they are the team that is on the rise in the Big 12, I'm starting to look a little bit north of Austin at the Fort Worth area. And I've I've long said Gary Patterson, and I, I haven't said this alone. It's not like I've chosen this hill to die on by myself, but Gary Patterson is a heck of a coach, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Now, we know TCU just landed big-time running back commitment from the Evans kid, top running back in the 2020 recruiting cycle, finally finds a home in Fort Worth, Texas, and he's going to help answer some of the offensive issues that the Horn Frogs have had. Quarterback's still going to be something that they're going to have to you know, make a decision on. But defensively, Gary Patterson has always put together one of the most challenging game plans with the guys that he puts on the field to face Oklahoma, regardless of what offense that they put out there. And Oklahoma fans can go all the way back to 2005 and remember that season opener where the Horned Frogs came in and upset the Sooners in Norman. Now we know that Mark Jackson, former linebacker from the University of Oklahoma, is going to go and play for Gary Patterson at TCU. He's a graduate transfer So he has immediate eligibility. So he will be on the field this fall when the Sooners play the Horned Frogs in Fort Worth. Now, if you need a refresher about Mark Jackson, a four-star recruit, member of the 2016 class, he was rated as the number 13 weak side defensive end in the country that year. And he was the 31 player uh, in the state of Texas. I mean, overall, the 31th. 31th, the 31st ranked (laughs) prospect. Now, he did not play defensive end at the University of Oklahoma. He played linebacker, and in four seasons, he played in 32 games. He started seven games during the 2018 season. But last year, he only saw action in four games, prompting him to jump into the transfer portal and land in Fort Worth, Texas, where Gary Patterson is going to transition him back from linebacker to defensive end. I think this is a win for Mark Jackson, and I think this is a win for Gary Patterson. And a a TCU defense, Joe Oklahoma fan is going to say, well, he really couldn't play at the University of Oklahoma. Look how bad our defensive was. You know, how's he going to go and make a difference for TCU? Well, because Gary Patterson is coaching TCU. People... I'm probably forgetting the fact that when TCU was, before it became a member of the Big 12, he won the Rose Bowl. Okay, he took TCU when they were a member of the WAC or the Mountain West or whatever it was. He took that team and won the Rose Bowl. So you're telling me Gary Patterson can't squeeze lemonade out of lemons? And I'm not saying Mark Jackson is a lemon, but he could, yeah. (laughs) He was a bust at the University of Oklahoma based on what his expectations were. But I think he's a kid that's got a lot of talent. And this is, I mean, if there's a place in the Big 12 for him to land, you don't want it to be TCU because Gary Patterson can figure out how to make a kid great on the defensive side of the ball. I agree with you. And what we've seen out of Gary Patterson a lot of times is playing undersized defensive linemen or even undersized linebackers at the positions on the defensive side of the ball in the front seven and having a lot of success. All of a sudden you have someone who's more of a natural fit for that defensive end position, joining your list of available candidates to fill the role. Gary Patterson's got, got a diamond in the rough Mm -hmm. in his hands, essentially with Mark Jackson. 
Yeah, it's going to be fun, and it just makes me long for football all the more. Hopefully, we get it in 2020. We're going to wrap this up. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Big, big day on Friday. Oklahoma hopefully going to get two commitments and a class that currently stands, I think, with five commitments. And it's going to bolster this recruiting ranking that Oklahoma fans have been so nervous about for so long. We'll have it covered at heartland-sports.com. Check it out. Leave us a comment. And always, we want your feedback on the podcast. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can hit us up at heartland-sports.com. We have a, an entire post dedicated directly to the podcast. We'd love to have your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Boomer Sooner.